Well, good morning and welcome to LifePoint. On both of our campuses, we are in a summer series called At the Movies, where we're looking at some of the most popular movies where we are discovering biblical truths in unexpected places. Now, though we have the rights to enjoy these movie clips in the service, we also see that when we go to broadcast it, it'll get interrupted and often the content gets blocked. And well, that's just not a very good experience for you. And so what we've decided to do is go back and, and find some of the most well-received, impactful messages over the last year, and we're going to share those with you so that you can enjoy those uninterrupted. Now, if you would like to come and join us at, at the Movies, Plano at 9 o'clock, Rock Hill at 1030, we'd love to have you there. But thank you for tuning in with us, and I hope today's message is an encouragement. Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, as Isaac said, we're wrapping up our series on Crave today. It's really a series on grace. Grace is the thing that we all deserve the least, but we crave the most. And so as we've gone through the series, if you've missed any of it, you can just go back and download the podcast. Let me give you a quick recap. In week one, what we saw was a man who was a liar. The next week we saw a woman who tricked her father-in-law into fathering a child with her. And then we saw a woman who was a prostitute. And then we saw last week the story of a man who was filled with hate and God used a whale to get his attention. And what they all had in common, they all received 100% grace. Now, as we've gone through those stories, as we look at one final one today, which I can't wait until we dig into this story, you may have a little voice whispering in your head as you hear about this grace that may be saying this, yeah, but what about, right? Grace sounds really good, but what about? You know, you got to be careful with grace, Mark, because people will take advantage of it. You can't make it sound too attractive. It'll be like grace gone wild. I mean, do you ever think like, yeah, but what about the person who's a repeat offender, right? And maybe some of you are there, like your ex-spouse keeps hurting you or your kids or ex-boss, ex-friend. Maybe, maybe you, you think, well, what about the people who are not obedient and, they, and they've sort of brought their circumstances on their life and they're just simply facing the consequences of their actions? Yeah, but, but what about the people who aren't repentant, who aren't saying they're sorry? Yeah, I'll be happy to forgive people when they say they're sorry. Then I'll give grace. I'm happy to do that, but what about? It just sounds too easy. It sounds like people will take advantage of it. It sounds like people will abuse it. But what about? We love to do but what about because we try to qualify this supernatural thing that God does for us around our natural understanding of it. And so we qualify it. And what we really create instead of grace is this thing called almost grace. And 90% of grace is not grace. 90% of grace is almost grace. And no one's life is changed by almost grace. It's like today, if, if I wanted to go to the Dallas Cowboys, I wanted to go to the AT&T Stadium to watch the Dallas Cowboys beat up on Hal Deutsch's Chicago Bears. If I wanted to do that today, and I were to go 90% of the way, and then I stopped, I would completely miss the game. Because you don't see it until you go 100%. In the same way, 90% of grace 
is not grace at all. It's almost grace. Grace is 100% I do not condemn you. And as soon as I say that, some of you thought, but what about? Grace is 100% I do not condemn you. And if you're new to church, if you're new to faith, if you're not sure you even believe in this, but somebody promised they'd take you out to eat, so you came today, and here you are, and you're wondering, and you're thinking, you know what, this is the problem I have with faith. This is the problem I have with Christians, because Christians can sometimes be the most judgmental people that I know, and I don't sense that kind of 100% I don't condemn you from the people that I know who follow Jesus. Can I just tell you, this is where we struggle as Christians, is there's an ancient tension It didn't start with us between grace and truth. There's this tension that we're always, we're wanting to offer grace, but we also know we need to offer truth. And so we're trying to balance it. We're trying to figure it out. And honestly, we get it wrong a whole lot. And you may have been on the receiving end of that. You see, sometimes we need to go back to the way Jesus lived his life. Because Jesus did something and he had no problem with this tension And there's one quick story that I think illustrates it as well as any. And that is there was a woman who was caught in the scandal of adultery who Jesus came to and Jesus first defended her. He protected her. He protected her dignity until her accusers left. And even then, he led with grace. And in that moment, he said, I do not condemn you. I 100% do not condemn you. I have protected you, I have defended you, and I have preserved your dignity, and now I want you to hear from Jesus saying, I do not condemn you. And then he said, stop it. Go and sin no more. And in this moment, he gave no balance, he gave 100% grace and then he gave 100% truth. There's no balance. It was a full dose of both. And you know what the religious people were thinking whenever Jesus was giving 100% grace? As they had a stone in their hand? Yeah, but what about? But what about? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Stop with the but what abouts. It's 100% grace. And then we're going to get to truth. And I don't know about you, but this is where grace gets tricky because I'm trying to balance truth and grace. I'm trying to do them both. And in our final story that we're going to look at today, it is the most famous story Jesus ever told. And it wraps up the concept of grace better than any other. And in this story, I just want you to know, I want you to be looking for it. Jesus is not only going to reveal what grace looks like, He's going to reveal the greatest enemy of grace. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to give you a heads up. At the end of the message today, I'm going to ask you to do something really uncomfortable. We've already locked the door, so you're in here, all right? (laughs) Settle down. But we'll get there in a minute. All right, this story, most famous story Jesus ever told is called the parable of the prodigal son. I think it would be better to call it the parable of the prodigal sons because both are equally important and we can identify with either different seasons of our life. And in this, 
we are going to see the greatest enemy of grace. Now, in order to really understand this story, you got to understand the context. Like, why did Jesus even tell this story? What motivated him to tell this amazing story that has now become the most famous story he ever told? And this will give context for it all. Because what happened is, there was a group of religious Pharisees and religious teachers of the law who made an accusation that was awful of Jesus. And in response to that accusation, Jesus gives this parable, along with two others that are similar, but he kind of climaxes the three parables with this one, the famous one, the parable of the prodigal son. So what's the, what's the question? What was the accusation? What gives this whole story context? It's in Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Luke chapter 15, if you don't know where it is, it's in the New Testament table of contents. You'll find it. There's one there in the pew, and you can... Uh, Look with us. We're also going to put the verses on the screen. Luke chapter 15, this whole chapter is just a wonderful chapter that's really going to emphasize this story. And there are three parables. And if you aren't remembering exactly what a parable is, a parable in a nutshell is a made-up story with an important principle. And so we're going to find and be looking for that principle as we read through this story. Parable of the prodigal son. So why did Jesus even tell this story? Here it is, Luke chapter 15 and verse 2. It says, but the Pharisees, these are the religious experts, along with the teachers of the law, they muttered. By the way, when people mutter, they usually know they shouldn't be saying what they're saying, but they just can't help themselves, right? And here we go. Watch this horrible accusation they make. This man, talking about Jesus, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Can you just imagine like when they said this, people heard this and they all gasped like they had just said some horrible thing that they found out to be true, a rumor about he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And in their culture, that meant is he unclean? Is he not following the rules? Does he not know about holiness? Truth and grace, we're trying to balance it always, aren't we? And Jesus is confusing two groups of people. He's confusing the religious people because they have no understanding of why he would allow himself to welcome sinners and eat with them. But you know who else he's confusing? The sinners. They're like, what are you doing at our table? We're not normally around people like you. Aren't you kind of like representing a lot of these Jewish people? What are you doing here? We're the outcasts. We're on the outside. We're not normally sitting with experts of the law. And everybody's confused by grace. When it's offered 100%, it confuses everybody. So that's good news, right? And here, these people are wrestling with it, and it is a response to this accusation that Jesus gives us these parables. And we're going to look at the final one, where Jesus gives the parable of the prodigal son in response to this accusation. Why in the world are you eating with, Ryan, I just got to kick your stand out of the way. If his guitar sounds different in the next song, you'll know why. You're welcome. So if you grew up in church, you may know this story already because this is a story where there really are three main characters. There are two sons and a father, okay? And we're going to begin two conversations is all we're going to look at in the story. The conversation between the younger son and the dad and then the older son and the dad. And so let's pick up this story. I'll give you the cliff notes real quick if you aren't familiar with the story. It starts off with this younger son who goes to his dad And he demands his inheritance, which is a great form of disrespect. Like, why would you pretend as if I've already died? And he's like, I don't care, Dad. I want to do what I want to do. Give me the money. 
off he went, and he turns his back on his family, and he goes out. And those of us who, who may have grown up with certain translations of the Bible, it said he lived righteous living. Like we always like, ooh, that almost sounds like righteousness, but not quite. And so he went out and he, well, basically self-indulgence, right? And he goes out and eventually does what anyone would do if they were young and they had too much money, he spent it all. And all of a sudden he's destitute. And he decides to come back to his dad, not because he wants to be part of the family, he no longer believes he's worthy of that. He comes back because he's just simply wanting to eat and he's hoping his family business will give him a job and he comes back in complete shame knowing that he won't be welcomed convinced that this is going to not go well but he's so hungry he's desperate he's lost and he decides to come back and this is where we pick up the conversation between the younger son who's come back and is convinced he's going to receive truth and he has the conversation with the dad look with me at Luke chapter 15 we pick up the story in verse 21. Immediately he begins what I'm sure is a prepared speech, a prepared apology, right? And then he said to him, the younger son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you just have a job in the back I can do somewhere else where I won't be seen? This won't be about a relationship. It's about me staying alive. Do you just have something I can do? And while he's talking, the father interrupts him. And watch the father's response, because I'm expecting truth to come out. Yeah, you did do this. Yeah, there are consequences to your actions. Yes, you didn't do what was right. Yes, you broke some of our family rules. But it says in verse 22, but the father, interrupting the son who's confessing, said to his servants, and this is my favorite word in the whole story, Say it with me, quick. He didn't pause, he didn't hesitate, he didn't wonder, he didn't take a poll, he wasn't sure, like, I don't know, do you need to work your way, kind of rehabilitate toward? Quick, we do this right here, right now. My son's here, and here's what we're gonna do that's quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let's have a feast, and let's celebrate. I'm going to tell you, the father didn't mind celebrating. You know, one of the things I love about LifePoint, and I think this comes from our founding pastor, PG, is you don't mind celebrating. It's, a, it's part of our culture here to embrace joy and celebration. I love that about our culture. And you see close Christ followers are comfortable embracing joy, camping on God's goodness rather than our enemy's badness. And I see so many of you who live that out, and I love that. And we're going to introduce to the older brother here in just a second. But we've got these characters in the story. And do you know who was the most disappointed to see the younger son return home? Who do you think it was? It's right here. The fattened calf. Right? Little dad joke. All right, here we go. So we have this conversation between the younger brother and the father. And notice as they're having this conversation, there are two different emotions that are happening at the exact same time. One, we have the rebellious son, the younger brother, who's out of everything, and he's experiencing shame. At the same time, in the exact same conversation, the father is ready to celebrate. Two different emotions in the same exact conversation, one from the sinner and one from the father. 
He's like, quick, it's time to party. Right here, right now, we celebrate. Because the son is focused on his foolishness. A lot of us do that, don't we? And the father is focused on the fact that his son is home. And I'm ready to celebrate because of that fact. Well, I think my, my instinct is if I were watching this conversation, I would expect the father to point out the fact that he, okay, you left my inheritance, you took my inheritance, you broke the rule, you spent all the money, you did a lot of bad stuff, and now you want to come back? But instead the father just says, no, you're back. And that's what I'm focused on. You see, in this story, I think Jesus is revealing something that's so important for me to remember. The greatest enemy of grace is a broken relationship. The greatest enemy of grace is division. Because this father wanted to offer grace to his son, but his son was gone. He had left. He wasn't a candidate for grace until he came back into relationship with the father. And the moment he did, grace was immediate. Division and broken relationships, they are the greatest enemy of grace. And that's why it should be a huge warning for all of us who follow Jesus in this election season, over the next week or two with the midterms, how we post on social media, how we have conversations with other people about politics, remembering that division is the great enemy of grace. So now let's meet the older brother. The older brother's still there. He's been the rule keeper all along. Maybe some of you relate to him. Well, look at verse 28. It says, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. In fact, he says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and, say this with me, I never disobeyed your orders. I'm a rule keeper. I appear to be obedient. I've done everything you've asked me to do. And yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, and he distances himself, has squandered, by the way, do you remember what he did? He squandered your property. He didn't just do that, Dad. He did it with prostitutes in case you forgot or in case you didn't know. You might as well know now. He's like the local TMZ of the family. He's like breaking all the dirt here. And then he goes, oh yeah, he comes home. It's not really a big deal. Then you kill the fatted calf. You know what he's saying? Dad, I'm watching you give grace. But what about all the stuff he did? But what about all the stuff I've done? And you didn't give that to me. We we saw it in week one, didn't we? That when it comes to grace in the Garden of Eden, fairness ended in the Garden of Eden. And we're glad that we don't get what we deserve. Because grace is what we deserve the least, but crave the most. We saw it last week as Isaac taught through the story of Jonah that grace isn't fair. We're trying to search out fairness, but what we want is God's grace and to become distributor of God's grace. And when the older brother saw grace coming, he goes, no, no, wait a minute. It's not fair. What about? But what about? 
And so it's as if he's got the rap sheet on his, older, on his younger brother and he's giving it to his dad. Hey dad, I'm sure you've heard about some of this, but let me just give you the full, let me give you the full thing. Here are the receipts of all the things he's done. You're aware of that? But what about? And I can't help but think for the younger brother, if you're like me, this is what he feared the most, is being fully known and the father finding out about all of his self-indulgence. And yet, the father responds with no but what abouts. Instead, the father responds with 100% grace. Look at verse 32. The father, back to the older brother, says, but we, not just me, I'm inviting you into this, we had to celebrate and be glad. Because he did good stuff? No. Because you did good stuff? No. Because he, did, he knows enough now? Because you know enough? No. We had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We celebrate because he's here. Because the relationship is restored again. Period. Wow. But again, you see two different focuses in this conversation because as the brothers and the father are having this conversation simultaneously, we see that the sons thought that the father should be focused on the behavior. Right? The younger son's like, man, I'm ashamed. The older son's like, I'm ashamed of him too. And by the way, did you see I never disobeyed anything? Please focus on our behavior. But the father, the whole time, he's focused solely on one thing. My son was lost and now he's found. It's all I care about. It's all I care about. Why did Jesus tell this parable? What's the principle of this made-up story? When we look in context and we remember why the, he's telling the story in the first place, we go back to this original question. Why does Jesus welcome sinners and eat with them? Why? Why, why don't you just... Teach the law. Why don't you just celebrate those who are obeying the law? Why do you eat with sinners and welcome them? And in telling this parable, I believe here's the principle that Jesus teaches us, that God celebrates restored relationships more than anything. Our enemy celebrates division and broken relationships more than anything. And Jesus says, grace only happens when they come home, when they're here, and when they're welcomed back, and when we're prepared for them to be here, then grace can happen. You see, it's one of the reasons why we have this vision of becoming a church where anyone can belong before they believe, that we would say we want to be a church of grace and truth, but we want to lead with grace because until you're here and you hear the words, I 100% do not condemn you, you aren't open to the truth and the love of God which will lead to a better life for you. You first need to be like all of us and know that there is a God who loves you unconditionally, not because of what you've done, not in spite of what you've done. He loves you because he created you. He loves you because his 
his son redeemed you on the cross and he loves you because he has a purpose for you on this earth. No matter what you've done or what you're doing, you are welcomed here. And I just want to say, if you're here today and you're struggling with an addiction, you don't have to hang your head in shame and sit on the back row. You can sit right here on the front row where the rest of us who are sinners who are undeserving of grace. If you're here today and you've been divorced more times than you would like to admit, you don't have to hang your head in shame and sit on the back row. You can sit right here on the front row with your head held high amongst all the other sinners who are undeserving of grace. Amen? This is a place we want to be where anyone can belong before they believe. Why? Because God celebrates restored relationships more than anything. And somewhere along the way, I keep trying to make truth and whether or not they're obeying the rules, I keep trying to put that above the grace which I didn't deserve to receive. It's an ancient tension. And here Jesus tells the story and he says, I do not condemn you. And then he says, now stop it. And by then I bet she heard that. But she may not have heard it a minute before. With all that said, I think this story ultimately is about you. I think there's a specific application for you in your life today. In fact, there are three characters in this story, and I want you to take a minute to identify which of these characters you can relate to in this season of your life, because I think it changes from season to season. So who are you in the parable? You could be the younger brother, you could be the older brother, you could be the father. And here's why I want us to do this. It would be so tempting today for you to leave and to walk out into the lobby and go, you know, I always loved that story. Where are we going for lunch? And nothing changes. And that's always my biggest fear, is that you will agree with me, but nothing changes. And so here's what I want to ask you to do in the next few moments, is to be really transparent, not with me, not even with God, but with yourself. And evaluate in your own life where you are as it relates to grace and be really transparent. So first, let's start with the younger brother, those of us who are in that category of the younger brother. And this has nothing to do with church attendance or how long you've known Jesus or followed Jesus. These are just seasons of life we all go through. And this is the one who's wondering, who's chasing, who's always going. And we saw the behaviors of the younger brother is that he was constantly chasing wealth and excess and lust and power and status. He was chasing it. He was looking for it. And then he, what he ultimately discovered was he was searching for unconditional love where it could never be found. Maybe that's you right now. Maybe if you're honest, you would say, you know what, I do that. I feel like I'm lost. I feel like I'm wandering in this life right now. I am chasing, trying to find something I've yet to find. Maybe you're overworking, you're overeating, you're overdrinking, you're overmedicating, but you're chasing, chasing, chasing. And you can relate to the younger, younger brother. If that's you, I, I want you to hear the father to you. Because I believe in the same way the Heavenly Father looks to you as the younger brother and he has an invitation to hear his distant voice inviting you to come home. No matter how far you've wandered, you're just one step of surrender away from being home and receiving his grace. Maybe as you hear the invitation, you would even have the courage to recognize that his grace is greater than your sin. In other words, God's goodness is greater than your badness. And that's an act of trust to believe that. Because we have a front row seat to our badness. And it's hard to believe that sometimes. The younger brother didn't believe it. 
until he experienced it. And finally, would you receive God's full forgiveness and reconciliation? It's here for you today. It's here in our Father. Some of us might be here and we say, no, no, I, reckon, I, I identify with the older brother. That's the one that I feel more uh, connected to, resonate with. After all, the more impressive you are in appearance, the more likely you are, the longer you've been attending church, the more tempting it is to kind of ease into that role. It kind of feels comfortable. Here are some behaviors that you focus on your external behaviors. More than grace and more than the relationship with the Father and Here's a way you can tell. If you focus on the behaviors of others and the beliefs of others in criticizing and pointing the finger, more than the relationship with the Father and grace. He also wrestled with criticism, resentment, bitterness, anger, self-righteousness, jealousy, and ultimately he lacked joy. In fact, I think it's harder to come. I think it's easier to come from the wild season of like external foolishness like the younger brother and come home than it is when you have an internally hard heart and you're appearing as if you're home. I think that step of surrender is often harder. If that's you, God has an invitation to you today. He invites you to be with him. It's like, remember the father said to the older son, he said, look, I am with you always. Everything I have is yours. God says that to us. He is with you always, and everything he has is yours. He also has an invitation, and that is to release the rivalry. Quit pointing at them and what they got, which they didn't deserve, or what they didn't get, but they did deserve, and and, and the way she lives and the way he lives and the way their family's doing and the way their retirement's going, like we just keep pointing the finger, yeah, but, but what about? And to release the rivalry. Instead, to acknowledge that all that you have was given to you as a gift of love. The, the sons, all the inheritance that they were given was from the Father. And just to receive that as the gift of love that it is. Finally, you might be in the category where we say, you know, actually, I, I think or I would like to connect to the Father. And there are some behaviors there where he had compassion for the lost. He welcomed sinners and ate with them. And he was quick to celebrate. He was quick to have joy, to get a robe and to get a ring. If that's you or you want that to be you, Sometimes we resonate with the sons and we're afraid to resonate with the father, but the goal is to be like the father. God's invitation to be like the father is to anticipate, I would even say to prepare for, the lost children coming home. This county is full of people who are chasing, who are lost, like many of us have been and many of us may be. And Part of our calling is to prepare for these people when they have the courage to come home. And to offer forgiveness to the undeserving, like me, like us. And to give without desiring anything in return, just like the Father did. He didn't demand, he celebrated. And ultimately, above everything else, celebrate restored relationships. Our enemies' greatest celebration comes 
through broken relationships. I can't help but think in our nation right now how our enemy smiles and celebrates the division that you and I see around us. Maybe we even feel in our families or in our own heart. And yet Jesus told this parable to say that God celebrates restored relationships more than anything. You know what that means? If I can just push a little bit right here. He celebrates restored relationships more than your favorite political candidate winning the election here in a week. He celebrates restored relationships more than how much Bible knowledge you have and how right you're getting it right now. He celebrates restored relationships more than the coworker who has that ridicu- ridiculous political view. And we all know they're just way out of line, right? God celebrates restored relationships more than getting them right. More than anything. He celebrates restored relationships. So here's where I don't want you to leave unchanged today. Remember that thing I said we're going to do something a little uncomfortable at the end? Well, here we are. You're excited. I'm glad. I sense the energy in the room and the joy in your heart, and I see a handful of people leaving. But here's what I want to ask you to do. Right now, would you take out your phone? Don't act like you don't have it with you. You have it with you, and that's perfectly okay. Take out your phone, even if the battery is dead, and even if you're not planning on doing anything, but you're just placating me in this moment, it will work. So just take out your phone, okay? I want you to take out your phone, and I want you to hold it, and in a minute, I'm going to ask you to text some people. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I totally recognize my life in the younger brother. I feel lost, I feel like I'm wondering, I feel like I'm chasing, I feel like I am going down a road, and I just don't know what to do. I I don't know exactly what my next step should be. I feel like I've been on this road so long, I'm just desperate. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to do what the younger brother did and just come home. No, but what abouts? You can come home here. We would love to pray with you after the service there behind the tech booth. We have some folks that would love to pray with you out in the lobby. Me and the rest of the staff, we're going to be there. We would love to pray with you. We want you to feel the invitation from the Father to come home. You're welcome here, but more importantly... He welcomes you. Maybe you've been the one who left and wondered and chased and you've come home. Maybe it was recently or maybe it was in the past. And there was someone who welcomed you when you came home. Maybe it was somebody here at this church in the lobby in a ministry. Maybe it was somebody in your family, in your neighborhood, in your small group, work. But you know exactly the season in your life where you wondered and you came home and there was, there was probably a, some follower of Jesus who may not be known, but they welcomed you home. Why don't you just pull up their contact info right now, send them a text and just thank them. God celebrates restored relationships more than anything. And when there are people out there behaving like the Father, we should be thanking them and elevating them and celebrating them. Secondly, or thirdly, maybe there's someone you've offended in this season. You've been the one who's 
causing the hurt or you caused the hurt, would you be courageous enough right now to take your cell phone, to pull up your contact list, you know who they are, and send them a text. Maybe it just means to schedule a lunch, to apologize in person, whatever that looks like for you. God celebrates restored relationships more than anything. And we don't want to just have a series on grace and we all walk out going, man, I love that grace. Knowing that the enemy of grace is broken relationships because there's too many people in here and there are too many broken relationships because we live in a broken world. We get to today take a step forward on this and we get to walk out of here differently as we get God celebrating as we restore relationships, even if it's a micro step like a text. Secondly, some of you are here and you're like the older brother. And with the older brother, there may have been someone, there may be someone that you need to stop comparing yourself to, to her house, to his life, to whatever, like the older brother. Maybe in your own life, whether you caused it or not, it exists in your family, it exists in your friendship circle or your former friendship circle. There's a broken relationship you need to restore. We'll just take a minute right now and just send them a text that says, look, just been thinking about you. Any chance we could go to lunch, grab a coffee? And take a step toward the thing that God celebrates more than anything, a restored relationship. Finally, there's the Father. Who in your life is running? Who in your life is chasing? They're distracted. They're lost. They're, they're on a road to pain. And you know them and you love them. Maybe it's your kid. Maybe it's somebody that you love and care about in your life. Who is that person in your life right now that you know is running and chasing? Maybe you just need to send them one text that says, I'm just thinking about you and I love you. In a way you're saying, I 100% don't condemn you. I want to be the father in your life. I wouldn't say that to them because that would be kind of weird. But I 100% don't condemn you. Or maybe there's somebody in your life who's struggling with resentment and anger right now. Maybe it's somebody who's sitting beside you. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's somebody in your family or a friend. Would you be bold enough to send them a text that just says, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you right now and I love you. I care about you. God celebrates restored relationships more than anything. And I hope you're memorizing our verse as we go through this series, but I'll promise you a simple text will go to celebrate it, causing God to celebrate a lot more because he celebrates restored relationships. And so I would encourage you right now to take your phone out and maybe God has kind of, you just felt a little prompting to text someone that you would just take a second and text that person. And if in two or three minutes you're still texting, we'll know, hey, you're doing business with God. If in 10 minutes you're still texting, we know you checked out and you're doing something else. But I'm serious. I, I, I would love to invite you to take this bold step may feel a little awkward, but if God cares that much about a restored relationship, why do we passively allow broken relationships to go unaddressed in our life? He really, really celebrates when we reconnect, when we reunite, and when we restore. Imagine if at the end of the day that your reputation becomes, man, she celebrates sinners. She welcomes them and eats with them. Man, that church, I don't know about everything they do, but 
They sure welcome sinners well. Wouldn't that be a great reputation to have? Now I want you to do this as we wrap it up today. Would you stand with me? I referenced our memory verse. It's Romans 3, chapter chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. I'm going to say it out once loud, and I want you to ask you to say it out loud with me. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here it is. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Say it out loud with me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace that came through redemption, that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you demonstrate what it looks like to remove all the but whatabouts and that you give 100% grace there on the cross. You demonstrated your love for us and you demonstrated while we were sinners how much you love us. And so for those who are here who are wondering and chasing God, would they come home to you? Feel the welcome from you. Those of us who maybe are trying to follow the rules and the behavior that we would once again take that same step of surrender and elevate a relationship with you above it all. God, may we become the distributors of grace like the Father. May you do that in here and we develop the reputation of a church that welcomes sinners and eats with them. All for your glory and your glory alone, I pray. Amen.